0: Welcome, welcome back. This is uh, podcast number thirteen in the MOH podcast series. I'm Jim Patton, your host, and we've got the uh, the final part of this uh, series on on guidance and getting guidance from God. We're going to finish up the series with this one. Um, the, the the bad news is this this tape um, quality wise was maybe not as good as the others, and so it's maybe a little. Uh, a little brittle, harsh <laughs> sounding to listen to, but I've, I've done the best I could with my little uh, box of magic tools to try and fix it up and clean it up and uh, equalize it so it doesn't sound too bad, and we're going to get into it right away. Uh, Winky mentions uh, the handbook for the followers of Jesus. I'll put a link to that one um, on, on, underneath this on the, uh, on the podcast, and then um, he mentions Joe Pine, uh most of you probably won't remember joe pine when i was about maybe 16 or so joe pine had a talk show on um one of the los angeles uh tv stations i couldn't get that show because i was in san diego so i used to go over to my friend steve paleggi's house and we used to watch joe pine he was kind of like the original shock jock i guess and uh, if you really want to see what he was like he's uh he's on uh, youtube you can find clips of him on youtube Uh, there's some of the famous ones, like interv- interviewing uh, Anton LaVey, the the Satan worshiper, the leader of the Satanic Church, and uh, people like Lester Maddox, who was the governor of Georgia, I want to say. Uh, I do remember one time watching with Steve, and and uh, Joe Pine was talking to somebody who was a Satanist. I don't think it was the uh, Anton LaVey one, but he was talking to this guy. And Now, Joe Pine would, would call himself an atheist, but he would say, look, you know, I'm an atheist, he says, but... Uh, If I believe there was a god and a devil, I surely know which one I would worship. And uh, he used to make fun of these guys. He'd get these people mad and they'd get up and walk off and stuff. Or he'd tell them, take a walk or take a hike or something, make them leave. But (laughs) I'm not sure why Winky mentions him, but he's mentioned in there. And uh, so we're going to just go ahead and start the final one. Just one final thing is uh, I've been around Winky long enough to know that when he has a session, he'll do a session and... Um, uh, he's many of you know he's he's inclined to just kind of veer off, maybe, or or emphasize something that he hadn't planned to. And what happens is when he runs out of time, he just he'll just say, Well, okay, that's it, thank you, goodbye. In a way, that's kind of what happened on this one. He didn't get into um, as much of the personal guidance side of things as he might have, but he did cover some things that are important having to do with personal Bible study and using the Bible as uh, you know getting to know God through his word that would be a great way for you to understand uh, what what God uh, is saying to you. So anyway here it is the final one um, personal guidance and uh, I'll see you right after the show.
1: Okay we have looked uh, in this last series of three major different forms of guidance. We've looked at conditions of guidance summary we've said the desire to know and do all the will of God uh, No personal rights, have yielded those to God, willingness to be counted a jerk for God, uh, clean conscience from the past, regular time in prayer in the word of God. And we looked at methods we looked at supernatural guidance in which we listed the uh, audible voice of God as one method uh, the fact that God has sometimes personal visitation people and then we also looked at visions and dreams as a a way in which God has communicated supernaturally with people. We also mentioned how this was not to be a habit, not to expect a vision and a dream and a voice and a thing every single day. Uh, These are to be exceptions. And then we talked briefly about guidance from the body of Christ, uh, counsel from experienced Christians. We mentioned uh, the Gifts of the Holy Spirit, guidance from the rest of the body, and then uh, God's servants in the ministry as being various ways in which guidance functions. context of the body of Christ. Now, finally, we're looking at personal guidance, uh, individual and direct guidance, and we are looking especially at the Scriptures, which is the foundation of all guidance. We've talked about regular Bible reading as necessary for giving you an overall picture of what God means in the whole of the book. Now here is a rule we all need to learn and experienced Bible scholars break this rule. Here is the rule. A text out of context is a pretext. What does that mean? It means that if you ignore the rest of what a chapter says, you can probably make the Bible to prove anything and say anything. For instance, there is a verse in the Bible that says, curse God and die. (laughs) Let's not take this too literally. Um, There is a verse in the Bible that says, curse God and die. It's what Job's wife said to him. Job's wife came to him, and with she'd obviously been reading Fascinating Womanhood, and uh, she said, why don't you just curse God and die, like a real inspiration? And Job said, you talk like a crazy woman. What are you? That's crazy. I, I'm not going to do that. And remember, he said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Now, we could, if we're crazy, Take that verse and say, the Lord gave me a revelation tonight. I am supposed to curse him and die. You know, we could do things like that. We could start the first church of Hari Kari. You know? It doesn't have a growing membership, it always shrinks. Now, we we could do a lot of crazy things, but I'm taking this as an extreme. All kinds of weird doctrines have been built on a verse that is taken out of its context. Now, I said to you in the Blunk Method that God is super gracious and he will speak to us sometimes by things that are quite out of context. And uh, I know people, you know, they're praying, how should I go? And... You know, uh, how shall I go into place? And they opened the Bible and said, as birds flying, the Lord will deliver. You know, they thought, wow, I go by plane, you know. Uh, Well, sometimes God can do this. And we will not deny the sovereignty of God and say that he can use things like that to guide people. But when you make a whole church out of it, then you really haven't got justification for that. you understand what I'm saying? It is possible for you, to, to build up a whole set of doctrines out of the Bible that are not in the context of the Bible. All of the major cults that use the Bible take Bible verses out of context. And they'll say, well, the Bible says this, the Bible says that, and they memorize all of those verses, but they really do not know the scriptures. They may know those scriptures backwards and forwards that they've memorized, but not the context in which it comes. And uh, every major cult that uses the Bible, you will see this. Quotation of Bible verses out of context. So make sure when you read the Bible, you should read the whole thing. Read it through again and again and again until you get an overall uh, picture of what God is like. Then when people come up with an extreme, you'll realize it's extreme because it's not just the fact that it's come from the Bible. It has come out of context with the rest of the Bible. This is the only way you can learn a biblical balance. Now, understand, when I'm talking about balance, I'm not talking about being adjusted now to a nice, safe level. I don't like people being adjusted to nice, safe levels. I think the Christian life should be always on the verge of risk. you understand what I'm saying? People go, we, we need to be balanced, we need to, which means we should be dead half the time is what they're thinking of. <laughs> Uh, we don't really have that vast problem in the, in the Christian life. We don't need a, to cool down a great bunch of fanatics. The greatest problem is warming up a bunch of corpses. And uh, A.W. Tozer said to, to be worried about fanaticism in the church is somewhat like people surrounding a graveyard in, uh, in, in uh, fear that the inhabitants may raise a great ruckus. You know... It, <laughs> this is not the way it is. A great chunk of time you've got to get people out of sludgy apathy and blobbiness and just going around you know, and get them excited and get them challenged. And I don't really think we'll have our biggest problems with people who are overzealous. But when we talk about balance we're talking about a perspective that comes from a wider view. A.W. Tozer also said a neat thing. He said this, truth has two wings. Truth has two wings. A bird has two wings. A normal bird has two wings. If it has two wings, it flies straight. If you shoot off one wing, it flies in a circle. <laughs> you only got one side of a thing, that's exactly where you go, round and round in circles. So in the, in the biblical base, there is two sides to perspective. This is important in understanding what to say to people. Charles Finney used to go into a city and he'd preach in one church, strongly this message. You can obey God any time you want to. Because all those people would be sitting there and saying this, well when God is ready to do a work in me, he will do it. So Finney would come down like a ton of bricks on responsibility and accountability and he would preach and then boom a revival would break out and all these people would get saved and then he would go right down the road two miles and he would preach the exact opposite side of that same truth you can only see because there's a bunch of people down there and said well well we'll go and serve ourselves and because we're free to repent any time we want to just before we die we'll sell God up am too sorry and then get saved and Finney said you can only repent when the Holy Ghost deals with you if you grieve him away you'll never be able to get saved no no another revival see but can you imagine a preacher trying to follow Finney and copy his pattern <laughs> Finney understood something he understood a divine balance in things And we need to learn that a lot of times the biggest heresies come from taking relatives and making them into absolutes, and absolutes and making them into relatives. Let me put it this way. For instance, after World War II, in uh, in this country, there were a lot of people that came back from the war and they felt all guilty. The reason why they felt guilty is because they were guilty. Uh, A lot of them had had done atrocious things during the war, things they never would have done, and it just really bothered their consciences. So when they came back to this country, they needed to hear a message of faith and release and freedom and hope. So anybody in this country that preached strongly on faith, repentance would have been there, but faith strongly emphasized if you trust the Lord, He'll clean you up, He'll free you from sin, uh, would have reaped a great harvest. Okay, now... Uh, young people growing up or preachers growing up follow they say well look at all the thousands of souls that were saved by the preaching of faith and they follow that pattern and what they don't understand is this here here's the war a sinner here let's dramatize this Uh, before the war this guy was a guilty sinner really felt guilty right during the war. So Faith with speaking to a person who's already wanted to get out of the mess he was in was the message he needed to hear. See? But after preaching on belief and faith, believe, 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 after a while, those sinners get used to that word, and then changes take place. They don't feel guilty anymore. A bunch of new psychology, philosophy comes along that says the reason why you feel guilty is because this is some, you know, Puritan hangover from an earlier day, and we need to abandon these things. And uh, it's just guilt feelings you have, and you should ignore these things. Super is in conflict with your ego. Well, the sinners are far out. So they build a wall up there until finally you can go, Jesus saves, and they go far out, green stamps, you know. Or Datsun saves. You know, the words become just words to them anymore. Now, if you keep copying the revival that went before, see, and miss, there's another whole side to salvation. It's called repentance. Another whole side. To give you an idea of this, I don't know whether the cameras can get this or not. Probably not. But I hope you can at least see it. I have a cheetah's Bible here. It's a marked reference Bible and it's got all kinds of colored, you know, things in it. It's a neat Bible. It's done by Gilchrist Lawson. Anybody opening it at a glance thinks you're a fantastic Bible scholar for all the colored lines that are there. It breaks up all of the verses in the Bible dealing with a major subject matter, salvation. Uh, the work of the Spirit of God, prophetic subjects and blessings. That's broken up. The interesting thing about it is this. It also has a, a set of scriptures collected all of the verses in the Bible under a particular topic. For instance, under salvation we have here. Let me show you this. All of the verses in the Bible on salvation through faith. See that? It's a whole chunk of them. I put my hands around them like that. Salvation through faith. Now, I want you to see how many there are in that thing. It's quite a chunk. Those in the back, you know, there's that many, right? (laughs) Now, I'd like you also, however, to look at how many times the word repentance is used on exactly the same subject. Now, putting these in the board and amplifying them up, this is what they look like. Faith. Repentance. In other words, the emphasis on the Scripture is very heavily loaded towards the turning away from, which is repentance, and turning to, which is faith, is a little less. They're both there, and they're both important. When people are guilty and want to get rid of what they're doing, then the proper thing to preach to them is faith. When people are not guilty and do not want to hang on to the thing, the dumb thing to preach to them is faith. Because they need to hear repentance. And that's two sides of that same basic thing. I look on faith and repentance as two sides of one coin. As a matter of fact, I use a coin sometimes when I'm talking to sinners to show them how to get saved. I say, here's a coin, it's got heads and tails. Heads, tails. Tails, turn your tail on your past. Say goodbye to everything you've been doing. Turn around and face the opposite direction. Heads, you've been living to please yourself. You've been head of your own life. Now give your whole life over to new head Jesus Christ. That's how to get saved. Simple, not complicated. Give it to you in marriage. In marriage, a girl and a guy come, come forwards in front of all their friends and enemies making a public declaration. The girl and the guy give up all their old boyfriends and girlfriends. The girl does not say to her husband, oh, I really love you, John, on Sunday, but, you know, Monday this Frank and Tuesday there's is and Wednesday, Dirty Harry, and Thursday, you know, Barry. So they don't do that. They bust off with all of their old flames and their old loves, and they cleave to a brand new person, a person that they give their whole love and loyalty to from this day on. That's what a marriage is. That's what conversion is. Same thing. Now, the reason I'm saying that is this, sometimes we try, we we miss this Bible balance, and we copy what has been said before. And then this wall goes up and gets harder and harder and harder, we say, to reach sinners. Oh, it's getting harder to speak to people. It's always been hard to talk to sinners, it's never been easy. think the sinner wants to get saved, that's why he's lost. But one day some dumb little dude's gonna walk in here, has read the Bible, the whole of it, instead of bits of it, and he's everybody's firing away here, you know. Boom, boom, bouncing off. Somebody's behind there going. We never lost it, you know, stuff like that. Some dude is gonna come in behind here and say, look at all those guys behind that wall. and they've got to clean up really now I'll tell you the danger in this and why I'm talking about balance we need to see there are two sides not two different things these are not two different things repentance is turning from faith is turning to they don't fight each other repentance and faith are good friends see the danger is this these people on this side of the wall will think these guys are firing against them. You understand that? People on this side of the wall will think these people are shooting against them because they're preaching an opposite side. Now the balance of that is wherever sinner is, he needs to get fired at until he gets saved. And if they all run around this side after 20 years of barrage, then we'll get them from this side. And that is what it means to get guidance and direction from the Spirit of God. You can't give one pill for all else. Different people, different strokes for different folks, right? Just different, different base. We've got to work as the Spirit of God directs us. All right? Um, This is true about guidance. Some people come and, uh, you know, you give them counsel on a particular area. And then somebody else comes with exactly the same question, and you may have to give them some totally different counsel for exactly the same problem. As an example of just this one up here, I'm in a Wilkerson rally as a counselor, right? And Dave Wilkerson preaches this hairy sermon on who's to blame. Really powerful thing. Well, there's all kinds of people respond in this thing. One boy comes in, and he is really broken. God has really dealt with his heart. He can't look me in the eye. He's looking down on the ground. He is really broken. And I said, what did you come for? He said, I need to give my life to God. I said, all right, that's great. I said, we'll pray with you in a little while. And I said, "Uh, you need to trust the Lord and just surrender your whole life over to him. And then his friend beside him was bopping away, you know, chewing, chewing gum. (laughs) And I said, what did you come for? He said, oh, I thought I'd get saved too. I said, oh, praise the Lord. No, I didn't. That's what I said to him. I don't think God can save you. He said, what? I said, the Bible says God gives grace to the humble. You don't look like that to me. I said, you get over there on your knees. And you ask God to show you what a filthy, rotten, selfish person you've been, and don't you get off your knees until He's done that, and then you come back and we'll talk about you getting saved. And he went over in the corner, man. He was shocked. Did I say that to his to his friend? No. Why not? Because he already knew that. To labour the point is stupidity. With his friend, I just said, isn't it time you trusted the Lord? He gave His life for you in the cross. He stood in your place started to weep. I said, now you just say, Lord Jesus, I give you everything I've got. See? Boom! The kid got saved immediately. Then his friend came back half an hour later, couldn't look me in the face. So I think I'm ready now. I said, I think you are too. <laughs> See, we are so dumb today. We do not understand what we're talking about in really basic things. Uh, for instance, one of the areas I've gone through is, I said, there, are, there, are, there can be up to 14 different facets in repentance. You can have bitterness, you know, there can be immorality, unwillingness to give up a good thing. And I'd go through and I'd list different possible ways in which people can escape a biblical repentance. So some night, every person he counsels, he says, there's 14 things you have to do before you get saved. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Failure to understand the whole counsel of God. Now, I can't, I can't chase you all down and make sure that, that what I'm saying here in the terms of a biblical balance, you'll apply in a balanced way. But one thing I can do, I can say, read the Bible, the whole Bible, through again and again and again, and it will give you a divine perspective on everything that's said. Then you won't get carried away on little trips. Somebody comes up with a new word, Bada! and we go, oh, yes, glory to God. The Bible is full of that. Of course it is. It's full of a lot of other things, too. It will keep you in balance. God knows we need various things in our lives. We need various emphasis. But the same pill cannot be used for all ills. And one of the key things in guidance is making sure you get an overall perspective in the Word of God. This will help you simply by Bible reading. Another thing concerning the Scriptures is when God suggests to your mind a chapter or a verse or a book, uh, in prayer sometimes God can speak to you about a book. And uh, Martin Luther got saved like that. Poor old Martin Luther, he was climbing up. He'd done everything he knew how to get saved. Now, this was in the days when everybody understood repentance, but nobody understood faith. They were penance. You know, was really not so much repentance, but penance. They were, you know, flogging themselves and starving themselves and anything to be accepted by the Lord. Really funny thing. So there was one final thing Luther had not done. He'd done about everything else. He had not walked up his knees, on his bare knees, up these stone X hundred steps, stones to the top as an act of penance. So he figured, well this is it, I've done everything else, I've got to do this. So there he is, on his bare knees, up these concrete, not concrete, but stone, rough, granite-y type stairs, just turning his knees into jello as he's going, right? Knee after knee after knee up, step after step, score after score of steps. And just, you know, dragging himself up onto the next step. When he hit the top step, he thought, you know, this is it, man. When I hit this top step, God's going to save me. Got to the top step and absolutely nothing. Just sore knees. Total despair. Done everything he knew. And right into his heart flashed a text of Scripture. The just shall live by faith. Boom. The whole Reformation came out of that. And Luther realized, man, we are doing all these things. We're working, trying to earn acceptance from God, and God loves us. See, and faith can justify us. We just trust in Jesus. We don't have to do all these things in order to be acceptable to God. We simply trust Him. Now, Martin Luther's time is a long time ago. We had a lot of people who think just trust God, never give up. You're wrong. Luther came out of this heavy, heavy repentance thing. Trying to do everything possible to get right in the sight of God. We wouldn't trust Him. A lot of penance, but no faith. Now we have everybody wanting to believe, but no repentance. Exactly the same problem in reverse. Luther's day, hardly anybody had the Bible. Didn't even know what it was. Our day, we got too much. Bible's all over the place. Nobody believes it. They read it, but they don't obey it. That is what I'm talking about concerning... This balance thing. So God can suggest text, scripture to your mind. And then a memory verse thing to learn uh, uh, Bible verses. Um, I believe in using the word of God for guidance. I want to give you, uh, most of you know how to do a memory thing. You just get a little card or a bunch of cards, cut out you just buy a little set of cards. And on the front you put a scripture. Thy word have I hid in my heart. You know, uh, and you could just put Thy Word, something like this. And then you put the Scripture that's found in. And then on the back, you put the whole Scripture. Thy Word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. And you repeat the verse, chapter and verse. And then you just keep these with you. You get a spare time, you're standing on a lunch line or something, you just flip through them. That's a simple way to, to memorize Scripture. In New Zealand, uh, I was in Youth for Christ for some time. We had a whole We had a whole quiz competition. We used to memorize entire books of the Bible. And that quiz or something was a fun thing. You know, we'd jump off the chairs and had electronic chairs and stuff to see which was the fastest. It was a trippy thing. But we learned whole books of the Bible by heart. So much so that a person could say, "Uh, what is, and we'd guess what the question was. We were jumping for the question, not for the answers. And uh, it was really, uh, well, you know, we got our diets down because of, you know, practice with huge heavy weights, you know, really, really funny thing. But we learned a lot of Scripture, and I find um, some of those chunks of Scripture that I learned in those early days coming back to me now when I'm ministering. So this is a good thing. Uh, Some have asked about the Jerry Lucas Bible memorization thing. Is this a good thing? Uh... The, the Lucas memorization program is a simple one, its idea basically is that uh, you can learn anything like this, is make something that you want to learn as absurd and as funny as you possibly can, preferably in pictures, it's easy to remember something that's really strange. Anything dull you won't remember very much, right? Somebody comes in here with pointy ears and the blue skin, you remember them, um, otherwise you probably forget them, so <laughs> I'm going to wear pointy ears and blue skin. The the, uh, the memorization program like that, I think, we've got a little extra thing in scriptures. It's not just the words you have to learn, it is the content of those words. And uh, you may find that particular method helpful. I personally prefer things like this, because we're, we're trying to learn the inside of the scripture, not the, just the words of it, but what it means. And that associates different things. Okay, uh, let me give you just a couple of things that you need to do. All of you need to do this. You need to have some time when you do a Bible study. You need to do this. Uh, And I'll just give you a, a simple rule of having a Bible study. Some years ago, Dorothy Sayers pointed out that people, children, learn three distinct stages. First stage is called the parrot stage. Second stage is called the poet stage. Third stage is the poet. Parrot stage is when kids collect everything and anything and repeat it back interminably, right? Number plates, crazy rhymes, any song they hear, they say it back. Second stage is when they get argumentative and tricky, and they delight in asking riddles. See? Batman and Robin got hit by a steamroller. What were they called? Flatman and Robin. You know, just. They have all of these dumb things, and they love tricking adults with them. It's that kind of a, you know, type age. And then, fortunately, they come out of this age. Uh-huh. And then they go into the poet stage. Poets, when they're about 12. No, thank you, Mother, I won't be eating today. I'm going to be up in my room composing a song. You know, the, most of us go through these ages, even those who so are embarrassed to admit that you went through it. Uh, I saw a television program a short time ago, and it was a young lady in a Christian ministry, and I knew exactly what age she was in. <laughs> she was really getting carried away with the, the beauty of everything, and... Her father had asked her how she thought about a crusade, and she wound up speaking about the beauty of the universe. And I thought, uh, isn't that nice, (laughs) 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 in the poet age. Um, Now, what is interesting is this also corresponds to three levels of learning. The first level is the collection, when you just collect things. And some adults have never learned to put this on their studies, so they don't know how to study. You do not know how to use this. In the early days, in medieval times, they actually taught people how to use this. This was a method of learning which was taught. And uh, they called it the Trivium. The rest of the curriculum they got was subjects, but this was how to approach these subjects. And they learned a method of learning by which they could use anything they came to study. They would use this method. Collection, they used the language usually to teach it, Latin was the common one. Grammar. Grammar is words. See, they just collected words. They learned great lists of words. That's how you learn language. Words. Words, words, words. And then the second part, they call this grammar. The second part was what they call dialectics. And the third part they call rhetoric in dialectics you learn to discern to distinguish between for instance you may collect words you may collect the word love but by the time you hit the second stage you know there's a difference between love that means phileo which means affection friendship eros which means sexual or physical attraction and agape which means this unselfish choice for the highest good and phileo and philadelphia which means love of the brethren that's starting to discern and you know that not all words that word love is a little bit wider than just one word, you see that? In other words, uh, I'm going to give it to you with pizza in a minute. How to study pizza, alright? And then finally, they learned to present this. You know how a medieval kid had to graduate from high school? He had to pick a subject, he had to study it, lay it out as a paper, see? Uh, uh, give all the reasons why it was true and argue against the reasons why it wasn't true and then he had to convince his teachers that it was so, orally with them having a chance to study his paper and his arguments for three days before he he did this so what he did, this is a medieval high school kid, right he got his teachers and he tried to convince them that his thesis was true to defend it and if he passed through this then he graduated can you imagine how smart a medieval kid was do you know why all of that shakespeare and all of that stuff came out of that era because they knew how to think dorothy Sayers says a medieval kid could watch television today they'd be deeply impressed by the media but they wouldn't buy anything because they go, that is idiotic, <laughs> see, how stupid, what a, see, they learn to analyze. Now one of the greatest tragedies of the modern mind is that when people go through college hoping to learn this, they do not. Instead they come out with subjects, but they don't know how to learn. And my picture of the average kid going through the average secular training program today is this, that in every class they throw a pile of papers on a desk. And at the end of four years' time, there's a huge stack of papers on the desk, right? And then you give them a degree and said, you have learned. And you ask them a question on any one subject, they go, well, uh, yeah, I remember that. But if you ask them a question that's related to that in another field, they, they don't even know what you're talking about. You go, well, if that's true, what about this? And they go, what? Well, we didn't learn that. Do you understand? There is no way to discern, to distinguish, to bring it together, and to apply it. And so the more you learn, the more confused you get. The more material that is added on your desk. And some of you go for 20 years, and that pile gets very high. But they can't talk about anything unless it was actually in words. Now, we need to learn this in our Christian Lives and Bible Study. What I want you to do is this. Have you noticed that a vast majority of people just ask other people what they think is true? They say, well, you know, I've got this problem, what do you think? And that's how we get all our information. Well, have you ever wondered who asks who and where this ends? (laughs) And when you think that major decisions are made by people like this, standing around, well, I don't know, what do you think? Well, I think that's a scary situation. No wonder our world is in a mess. Um, dialectics, the only time this is taught today is in Marxist countries where they teach them. That if you ever met a convinced Marxist, brother, if you ever, some of you Christians think you're really far out in knowing how to witness and stuff, you would look like a pea shooter in front of a tank if you ran into a Marxist. <laughs> dialectician they are so good at ripping you up and down sideways if you want to meet a person like this Madeline Murray O'Hare is that kind of person Joe Pine was that kind of person a person trained in dialectics in tearing to shreds arguments reducing it to its common thing and if they can't win they destroy you I remember Joe Pine before he died of cancer once there was a kid there was a hip kid and he, he was anti-work ethic. Joe Pine took an instant dislike to him and determined to crucify him. So the kid, he was asked Pine has asking him all these questions. Pine said, well, he says, uh, how, do you, how, do you, uh, how do you buy stuff? And the kid says, well, I don't need a lot. And he says, I mean, soap. You do take baths, don't you? And the kid said, well, he says, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, get a, I get a bit of money to buy things. And, and Pine said, oh, really? Then you did believe in work. He said, well, yeah, I believe in work, but not just for getting money and stuff. And uh, he said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I, I work for nothing. I, I, I enjoy the things I do. And I, I work for nothing. And Pine said, oh, they must pay you what you work. <laughs> do, do you understand what I'm saying? The, the, this... This thing, some people are really trained in the the bad side of dialectics, to tear to shreds an argument and just lay it bare in its place. But Christians do not think enough when presented with things. People say things and then they go, ah, 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 and just dumb. We need to ask some real questions on things. What's the attitude of a person then ask some more questions? Do you see what I'm saying? Now, the way, let me give you, I promise I'd give you this in pizza. Here is how to study pizza. And you know nothing about pizza, you don't know what a pizza is. But you're going to do a study on pizza. The first thing you do is collect pizzas. All kinds. Big ones, small ones, medium size, pepperoni, shakies. Do, do you see that? Every kind of pizza you collect. That's just collection. That's a very simple thing. Just collect them. The second thing you start to do is sort them. Here's all the big pizzas. See? Here's the medium pizzas and small pizzas. Well, that's just a size distinction. Notice that Shaky's a little larger than, uh, see? And then the next thing you start asking questions question is, what is on these things? Well, this one's got three things. It's got some little green things on it. So you put all of the ones with little green things on it in one square. Okay? You take all the ones with red circles on them and you put them... <laughs> okay? Until finally, you've checked them all out. You've tried crusts, tested thicknesses, amounts, value. And then you say, the best pizza in the world is... Boom! That's how you study pizzas. That's how you study the Bible. How you study anything. The first thing you do is collect. The second thing you do is sort. And the third thing you do is having made decisions on what you found is present it Simplest possible way. Now, what I want you to do is this. As you get questions in your mind on different subjects, I suggest very strongly that you get a Bible, get a concordance, and you look up all the verses you can on it. See? Don't take a, a one like Love for a start because it will take you three years. One lexicon has 60 pages on the word love, the Greek word love, just its implication, its meaning. So take a odd little word, or you know, one that, one that you might be interested in and just write out all the verses that you can find in the concordance and have some bearing on it and then start sorting them out. See, so put all the green ones over here and all the red ones here. It's just, this helps you think. And after a while, you'll find that you're beginning to discern and distinguish then learn how to present it. Put all the ordinary ones here, and then the better ones here, and then the next ones, till you come to the heaviest ones. Or put the heavy one up here, and all the others. See, that's presentation. Now, there are different ways of Bible study. I won't go into them. In the, in the little book, uh, Handbook for the Followers of Jesus, I've put some Bible study methods, and there's probably quite a few books around where you can get these different methods of Bible study. But I encourage you to do this Even if you take a verse and look up all the words in a concordance in it and write them out and ask questions, ask these questions Why? What? When? Where? How? Who? Instead of just letting your mind run of it you know what you've been doing in Bible meditation? So you've been thinking carefully through things you've been taking a walk through Scripture putting yourself in the place of that thing you need to do that every time you read the Bible if you want anything out of it Don't just let your mind coast. Bible study, get stuck in and do something. All right. Time now. Witness. We've got to give you uh, two more, and then I'm going to give you a simple principle of guidance, which will sum all of these up. The next chunk of guidance, personal guidance, is the witness of the Holy Spirit. This is the the doctrine of the inner voice. The old... men of God used to call it. It's a still, small voice that is known to every child of God. Now, I really believe uh, in this still, small voice. Remember this thing we started off in this whole series in guidance when we talked about in the book of John? My sheep, now my voice, John chapter 10. My sheep know my voice. They hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. Uh, The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. They know his voice. A stranger will they not follow. They will flee from them, for they do not know the voice of strangers. The voice of the Spirit of God speaks to a clean conscience. Clean conscience is a secret of the still small voice. Now, your conscience, conscience comes from two Latin words, con and sciento. Con, with, sciento, to know, alongside of, sciento, to know. So conscience means to know alongside of, with. What does conscience mean? Conscience is a comparison standard. Now, I have on my hand a watch. Watch and I have been through many great blessings together. Uh, About six months ago, when I was in the Galfi Force in Lindale, there was a long corridor, white corridor that turns like this, and a light on the other end of the corridor. If you switch it off, everything goes pitch black inside. Can't see a thing. I was in a hurry. I was supposed to speak at a meeting, and I opened up this door. The door closed behind me. The light was off, and I thought I knew where the corridor turned left so I ran around the corner and the corner was not yet there still warm, At the last second I, I figured uh oh, something <laughs> and I threw my hand out like this this is the old judo fall break, ha! <laughs> <You know? laughs> and my hand went wham, bam, right into that wall about one-eighth of a second before my face and my nose arrived in it and took the full brunt of the shock. So I just, like this. But my poor old watch happened to be right on the crunch end of this thing. And it just went, You know, it's a good watch, but it wasn't designed for that kind of thing. Shockproof it is, but not that. Now, ever since then, I got to watch my watch. I, I took it down to Florida and the guy said, Oh, yes, the little old Swiss watchmaker, you know, and I'll fix it up. And fooled around with it for two days and it's still not going right. And take it back to Switzerland, give it back to the manufacturer and say, Fix this thing up. The old Swiss watchmaker has been too long away from Switzerland. <laughs> now, your conscience is like a watch, it is never designed to be a standard in itself. It is a standard which is to be compared with other standards. So now, I keep looking at the thing, and if it's not going, I check it out against another clock. You see that? I carry on my belt. I calculate it with a built-in digital clock in case this thing freaks out. Then I punch up this digital clock and time the meeting by that. Now I've got to do weird little things like this. And I've been, been waiting for certain digital watch developments to come up, and I know exactly what I'm looking for. See, this one's got a little alarm. And it tells me when to get up. And tells me when to quit. And it often goes off in the middle. Oh, <laughs> I want one that goes. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> you need to understand this. These things are comparison standards. They're not standards in themselves. No watches. No matter how good it is, how accurate, it is not the standard in itself. And the conscience is like that. It's designed constantly to be compared with a standard. And that standard is the Word of God. See? But when it is constantly kept in tune and in comparison with the Word of God, if it's kept clean, the conscience can become a secondary standard by which you can measure whether you the situation you're getting into is wrong or right without having any experimental knowledge of that situation and you need to know this because you, it is important that you realize you don't have to try something to see whether it's wrong or not and we need to learn to develop the conscience so that you before you get into a thing you'll know it's wrong now if young christians learn to keep a sensitive conscience that would save them from a lot of pain Sensitive conscience. Have you ever had this happen? I had a young Christian who came to me, he'd just been saved, and he ran right into a cult. I mean, one day after he got saved. And these people were around there on his door, telling them all this stuff about this, that, and the other thing, and laying out all these vast reams of stuff. this guy's been saved one whole day, right? He came to me and he said, you know, I was talking to these people today. And you know, I thought they were talking about Jesus. I said, praise the Lord, you know the Lord too, you know? He said, well, yes. And he said, but they would tell me all this stuff and trying to get me to come and go to their meetings. And he said that all the time I was talking to them, I really felt funny. I don't know why, I just felt there was something funny about them. You know these people? I said, yeah, they're weird. He said, I knew that. Now, how did he know that? He didn't have any Bible at all. He's a total pagan, straight off the streets, got saved. No background. But the still, small voice said, baby, this is not for you. Get out of this and get out of it quick. You understand? My sheep know my voice. Stranger's voice they will not hear. Which means you don't have to be brilliant in order to know what is wrong. You only have to have a clean conscience. There are girls. You girls would never, ever go with the guy you're going with if you had a clean conscience. Seriously. Go with this dude, and he's a rotten guy, but you think, oh, but he's got such nice teeth. <laughs> All the better to bite you with, my dear. God wants to warn you before you get into something there are, there are Christians that have gone into business deals that just totally wrecked them because they did not listen to the still small voice. Now this is the way of knowing what is wrong without experimentally getting into that. And it's the most basic way. The, see, you can't go like this. Do you see what? Not all situations specifically are covered in the Bible. There's principles here. But not all specific situations. See? So you can't go in the Bible... Okay, it's a business deal. Now, let me look up. Um, what does it say about marrying a guy called Harold? Nothing! Oh, well, there might be somebody married to Harold. <laughs> Harold's my best friend in New Zealand. Now, the other thing I was saying, these, these things, the Spirit of God wants to give you specific guidance in. Now, let me give you a couple of examples uh, just, just from personal experience. When I was working, In Detroit, Teen Challenge, which I did for a summer, I worked in an area which was the rottenest area in Detroit. It's called 12th Street. 12th Street was a rotten, rotten place. And uh, it was so bad, they would not put in regular policemen. They had a special squad, which they called the Big Four. And these guys were the biggest four I've ever seen. i ever seen demon-possessed policemen. (laughs) These guys, little red eyes, you know, and one was tall and skinny like a piece of iron, and the other three were fat, solid, you know, just sawn off shotguns, machine guns, everything. And if they got out, murder, brother, real murder. Well, I worked in this area. Oh, it was a lot of interesting experiences. <laughs> One night we were driving back, driving along the road, and uh, at that time I was engaged to my wife, who's my wife, right? She was my fiance at that time, and I was engaged to her. And there were three of us in the front and four of us in the back, all of us guys in the front, the four girls were in the back. And my wife had a glove which she'd pulled the fingers out of, you know, just the, the glove fingers and she was sticking this here's me, right she was sticking this glove the director was driving and she was sticking these glove fingers where my fingers were and I had my arms stuck in like this in the front and I was pulling around with the fingers of this glove <laughs> like this very spiritual thing to do around with this like this we're driving along about 70 miles an hour in those days, the limit in Detroit, along this freeway And quite suddenly, right in the middle of all this, the Lord said, still, small boy. He said, pray. Like, pray. Not repent, but pray. (laughs) (laughs) So I remember just bowing my head and saying just quietly and not out loud and just sort of under my breath and in my mind saying, Lord, just watch over us as we drive back from this thing. And I looked up, car right in front of us slammed on their brakes, Ah, like this, and then it looked like cars somersaulting everywhere. There were cars spinning around and we went four wheel drifts in and out, you know, and, and not a scratch, not touch, and cars were somersaulting around us. It was like a, it was insane. We went right through the middle of the thing and came out the other end. And I realized, you know, God can warn you about things. And now a preacher was running to catch a plane. He had to catch a plane. If he did not catch that plane, there was no other plane, and there was a convention, there were 2,000 people waiting to hear him speak, and he had to catch a plane. It seemed like everything conspired against him. Traffic buildups, he left an hour before and everything. And when he got to the thing, the guy said, I think you've missed it, I haven't got time to check your baggage. If you're going to catch it, you have to run because it's already there on the tarmac getting ready to go. So he's sprinting, he's running down these corridors, right? He's got his summons in his hand and his bag. left everything behind I've got to get on this plane and as he ran his case unlatched and I mean things 150 foot back on the corridor just papers books Bible and he's looking up and they're pushing starting to push away the gate man and he's got a choice he could just throw this and jump on the plane you and arrive and borrow a Bible or try and grab his so he grabs his bike, thing and then the thing rolls away and the plane takes off and he's so mad he's standing there complaining to God uh, you know I prayed that you'd get, uh, help me with this you know this is just really mad he's watching the plane take off and it, it gets right on the horizon and then blows up right some nut put a bomb on the plane now what do you think there's still small voice. See, people don't listen to that thing. God speaks and they go, ah, oh, shut up, you know. How do you feel if you cut you know what? How many of you know what an idiot light is? Do you know what an idiot light is? An idiot light is that red light, temperature, oil, you know, generator. And they call it an idiot light because you're an idiot if you don't listen to it. All right. You are driving along in a freeway and a red light comes on, oil. You have to listen to it and get a piece of bubble gum out and stick it on, chuck <laughs> it on down. After a while, funny noises start coming from the inner. <laughs> so, you turn the radio on full. Don't hear anything anymore, right? Smoke starts coming up inside the thing. So you wind the windows down and drive faster. Then the water comes on. You stick another piece. Just got another piece. (laughs) You don't have to listen to that. When that car somersault blows to bits and throws you 150 foot through the air, it's no good your ghost coming back and kicking the light. (laughs) Saying you are dumb idiot light. You are the idiot. The light came on and told you to quit. It's only a warning. If you don't listen to it, that's your problem. See that? Conscience is like that spirit of God speaks to our conscience okay we need to quit because uh, well, time to go let's quit in prayer Lord Jesus we ask you to help us keep a sensitive conscience we may hear the still small voice of the spirit of God in Jesus name amen all right
0: all right, that's it. That's all for the uh, the, the series on guidance. Uh, Winky has a lot of stuff on guidance. You can find uh, tracks on on Hearing the Voice of God on the MOH.org website under the Discipleship Training tracks. You can go to net and purchase videos on the subject. You can watch some lower-quality uh, videos on the subject at the MOH uh, website. And one final thing, just uh, so you know... Um, for the last two three months, uh, except for during the Christmas time, we've been doing uh, two podcasts a week: one Jim and D podcast and one MOH podcast. Where has, so far has been uh, primarily Winky tapes, and it's just getting a little too much for me. So, um, beginning this week, we're going to do only one a week. So this week I'll do one uh, a Winky one uh, next uh, between now and, and next week. Then or next week I'll I'll put up one for, um, the Jim and D podcast. And then the following week we'll be back to MOH podcast. So we're only going to do half as many because I, I found that pretty much I don't have time to do anything else when I'm trying to do two podcasts a week. I don't know how some of these guys do this. Well, of course, I guess, I don't know. Some people that do podcasts don't have to record whole songs every week. So (laughs) I'm trying to record new songs for the MOH, excuse me, for the the Jim and D podcasts. And uh, so anyway, just that final word, we're going to be cutting back to one a week, one alternating between the MOH podcast and the Jim and D podcast. And uh, so that's it for this week. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you soon.